and welcome to the Peregrine Podcast. This is Nori Mueller alongside our editor and producer and co-host, Mr. Everything, John McCord. And today... Can I put Mr. Everything on a business card? Mr. Everything. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't That's know. Great. Great. Today we are welcoming a lovely Veritas mom to the podcast. She has four kids. Three of those kids are here at the school. She's married to an ex-radio personality. I'm kind of making that up, but not really. And she's an avid water skier, some of you have already guessed. And she's also a lover of words, which is what we're going to talk about later. It's Ginger Friesen. Hi. Hi, Ginger. So glad you're here. Did you know that about her, that she's married to an ex-radio personality? What? So who's, what's TJ's radio persona? When, have, when and what? When he was at Messiah College... He did a, a radio show, but you have to ask, you have to ask him next time you see him. Okay. Ask him for his radio voice. To do, he does like a. Oh man! I don't want to do it because I can't do yes. it. I can't do it. It's but great. it's really good. When, when I was an undergrad, uh, my roommate and I, Jasper, shout out. Uh, he we had a show called The Date Doctors, and we it was uh, it was like dating advice as if I. <laughs> As if I could give anybody any kind of dating advice. You but were one of the doctors? I was one of the doctors. Oh, my gracious. Did people call in? People did call in. But it was just oh like a local, goodness. you know. Uh, so you're friends? Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, guys, on, guys, <laughs> guys from the floor who wanted to help us out, basically. But That's I didn't awesome. have, like, a, a voice. I, I need to hear TJ's voice. You need to ask him. It's really good. Okay. okay and then some of you probably guessed it, because I feel like lots of people know you're an avid water skier. Even the girls in my homeroom this morning, I told them, I'm going to interview Mrs. Friesen. Okay. And they were like, oh, she's so good at skiing. And oh, I was wow. like, yeah. Okay. And then there was a whole talk about skiing on the water versus skiing on the snow. I don't do the snow skiing. Okay. TJ does. It doesn't translate? I don't know. I just don't like to be cold. Oh. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a skill. I don't want to try. I don't. I'll stay on the lake. Okay. That's right, but he goes like out west yeah. in the winter time. Yeah. That's he's never invited me. I mean, this is not like <laughs> this is not me airing my grievances, but I do know there are there are a handful of pretty avid snow skiers as well in the snow community skiers. who head who head west. It's not for me. I have always thought it is super dorky looking. <laughs> and so I do not or snow skiing. Snow skiing. No, water skiing is super cool. Snow skiing. Good Char- answer. Good answer. Because <laughs> Charlie is the snow skier and I am a snowboarder. So I feel Ooh. like there's like a always kind of a rivalry. Kind of like the running on the trail and the bicyclists on the trail. You're not really friends with the bicyclists yeah. if you're the runners. Yeah. Kind of like that. So anyway, okay. All right. So last week we had Adam Bloom on. Have we released that? Well, yeah. We are recording the uh, weekend after the Veritas picnic. There, yes. Because basketball, this is probably more production side <laughs> right. info than anybody wants, but because basketball season is Here's the behind in, the scenes. We, we don't have any time. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it. So we are recording a bunch of these kind of prior to actually game schedule getting underway so that we can release them over the next months, right, basically. Right. So. so we had Adam on, and he talked about how he worked in a school in Chicago or outside of Chicago with John before coming here. And I remember you telling me maybe you knew them or y'all had some relation to that school. So if you'll share kind of how you came to be in Greenville from up there and how you landed at Veritas, that would be good. Well, we started, we were in Naperville, a suburb of Chicago, and we started at public school with our oldest. Kindergarten and first grade, he went to public school. And then we had friends who homeschooled, and my my son Bauer said, I want to be homeschooled. He kept asking to be homeschooled, and I was like 
concerned. Did something happen right. at school? And I went and talked to the teacher, and I think he just really wanted to be home. And so we tried full homeschool for second grade for him. And that was okay, except I just, the whole year, kept thinking, did I choose the right math curriculum? I just mm. couldn't settle on making all those decisions for myself and thinking I have multiple kids coming. And so we started, at that point, we had been in Naperville for almost eight years, and we, we knew we weren't going to stay in the Midwest long term. So we started thinking, where do we want to move? Where in the South do we want to move? We looked into four states, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia. And I started researching all the classical Christian schools because we had found out about the classical Christian school in Naperville and had some friends who were there and started thinking maybe that's what we would like to do for for our kids. And so when I started researching schools in those four states, that's when I discovered University Model as a school option. And so then I got really excited because I thought it's both. It's school and home. Yeah. And through the process of choosing where to move and picking a university model school, we also, when we chose Greenville and realized that Mr. McCord, John, had been the headmaster at the classical school in Naperville, it was just this perfect transition for us because we ended up wanting to stay in Naperville through the fall of the year that Bauer was in third grade because we were having okay. our youngest daughter, Sailor, and we just wanted to do all the birth, all of the hospital. We had a home birth. We wanted to have that experience in Naperville where we knew what we were, you know, knew what we had already done. And so it was so great because when we did, we did the fall semester of Bauer's third grade year, Cash's kindergarten year at okay. John's old school because he had moved to Greenville at that point. Okay. But Mr. McCord, it was his Latin curriculum that Bauer did in third grade, but it was a five-day-a-week model. And this is what's so interesting in the story that I love to tell is just that when we came here, like, the, it was the same, it was the same, like, curriculum. It right. Was the, it's John's book. John's book. Yeah. But for Bauer, it was just a really cool experience to have done the five day a week model and then transition here and feel like oh this is so much more not relaxed in a bad way but relaxed like it's not that every day in the classroom mm -hmm. that was a good experience to have had before coming here but I think it just really helped us feel like we made the right choice for mm -hmm. this type of school mm -hmm. but it was such a great transition for because at the time we were doing Saxon math so that was the same normally I don't think Veritas allows students to start part way through the year just it wouldn't really work right but because we had done the same very similar curriculum it was a great transition for us and so cash was able to start part way through kindergarten and bauer started part way through third and we've been here so cash now is in eighth grade and it's just so cool to me to see someone who started in kindergarten and is up to eighth grade and his abilities i just believe in this education and what it has given my children so much and I'm so thankful that we knew of John's school even I mean we we had met you yeah, yeah. we had met you we knew, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say we really knew you no, but no. it's been it was perfect and so you knew Adam as well was he well, also I knew that he was there okay. I didn't really know the administrators like personally mm -hmm. but I knew of the school right like, it was a it was a well-known like in the Christian community there. Right. School. So your visit, you visited, I assume you visited Greenville before you we visited made the Greenville. move. And you we came visited. to like an open house. We or, did. Okay. 
Um, yeah. We visit. We actually were choosing. We narrowed it down to choosing between the University Model School in Wilmington, North Carolina, which oh. is about an hour from where I grew up, and Greenville. Okay. And I don't like the beach, so we thought <laughs> we should have moved to Wilmington because it definitely had a beach vibe. And I was like, I don't. I want to. I don't know. I love Greenville. I love that we chose Greenville. Yeah. It's been more than I ever thought it could be for us. Y'all are in a really good spot. If you've never yeah. been to Ginger's house, this <laughs> blew my mind because I grew up in Berea, like going to the mm-hmm. high school there, and there's a lake. And I knew there was a lake, but I just assumed that it was like kind of a garbage lake, <laughs> like just like, like not a, a nice, yeah, like, like a, a pond, pond like, not nice, whatever. No, we went over to your house for dinner this summer, and it was so nice. And then you water ski on a lake in Berea. I, yeah. I like. I can't wait to tell some of my high school friends that they're not going to believe that. So, um, yeah. But when we were at your house, I noticed lots of words everywhere. And this year at community training, you spoke on really on words and the power of words. So that's why we wanted to have you on to kind of hear a summary of your breakout talk that you gave. What was the title of it? Um, did it what have poetry, maybe? She didn't know there was going to be a pop I didn't know there was a title. We do Let love titles. Say. That's like the I, refrain of this podcast is how much we love titles. <laughs> yeah. I poetry hate and commonplace. That was the poetry title. Poetry and commonplace. That was it. So if you didn't get a chance, uh, Ginger's going to give us kind of a quick review of her little talk. It wasn't really little. You didn't even want to do it, I think, to well, begin with. Well, I just didn't think I had 50 minutes worth of content. I, I thought, who wants to hear anything for 50 minutes? But John said, it's fine. You can start with a Q&A, get people's thoughts on why they're in the class. You can um, analyze a poem at the end. So he gave me the freedom to not feel like I had to just talk for 50 minutes, but I quickly realized that I could fill <laughs> up 50 minutes, no problem. Um, so I wanted, I, what I told the class was that if you leave my session and you think I want to learn one poem this year, that I, I would feel like I succeeded. I wanted to help parents understand that this isn't just for our kids. Mm. I, my life has been changed forever because I've, in, because I've started doing this practice for myself memorizing poetry and writing down in a commonplace book words that I love and what's um what I've just realized is that I continue to add value to my own life the the value that I add to my heart and my soul and my mind and myself by doing this simple one little thing that takes a very little bit of my time it's such a gift that I feel like I've just given to myself Mm -hmm. and we often don't think like we're allowed to do things for ourselves but I talked in the class I wanted people to just um know what memorizing poetry can do for you and why not just asking your kids to do it but experiencing it for yourself alongside them and I don't mean just learning the poems they're learning but I mean finding poems that you love and taking the time to write those words on your heart And I mean, yeah, we could all just, you know, you might hear a line, even this morning, my boys were watching SportsCenter before school, and actually, Sailor was the one, she heard it, she ran in there, she said, Mom, on SportsCenter, they just said, if you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and I said, power, because that's a line from the poem, If, Mm -hmm. by Rudyard Kipling, that Mm -hmm. I know, that my kids know. 
she and I said, "What, Bauer? Did they just say a line of if on Sports Center?" And he said, "Well, they were making a joke. They said if you can keep your headset when all about you, because someone <laughs> evidently threw their right. headset off." And but again, she got it. But she heard it, and I was like, "Yes, yes, that's so validating <laughs> to me as a mom mm, right. who loves this stuff so much." And so I just wanted to share with the class the the things that I feel like poetry memory work has done for me personally. Um, a lot of what I shared just felt very experiential. I I thought, I guess I probably should give something that's actual research. So I found some inf- um, an article by Andrew Pudawa, who is the one who founded the Institute of IEW, the Institute for Excellence in Writing that we use at Veritas in our lower grades for writing. And it and I included that article and gave that to the class to just take home and read. But he just talks about how we assimilate and become good readers and writers when we have heard, read and heard good language, especially speaking it out loud, reading aloud to your kids and also memorizing mm-hmm. things, beautiful things. And so I shared that article, and then I recited, I think, about seven poems throughout the class just to make points of things I was talking about, just so that people could see that the types of things I learned, some are funny and quirky, some are serious. I I wanted to recite a sonnet by Shakespeare, but I got a little nervous because the language is so different from how we speak that I decided that I wouldn't do that one. Um, and then at the end, we talked. To, we analyzed a Mary Oliver poem. Mary Oliver is my favorite poet, and we analyzed one of her poems in the class and just had people share their thoughts on it. Um, and I gave out little journals. Yes, you And did. my favorite pen that I like to use to write in my commonplace book, and I just talked about keeping a commonplace book and what that means um, and how I do it. So that was. Can I pause before we go yeah, to the sure. commonplace book? Because <clears throat> sure. that, that's its own yes. awesome thing. But sure. so one thing that you said was that poetry has added value to your life, right? And then you gave an example that if somebody's like critical, so so I'll, they they might hear like big deal, some reference on Sports Center. Who cares? Right. Right. Like, right. And so. So when you say value, like, obviously that's something that has weight, something that you think matters. You use the word beauty, right? Like, oh, this is a beautiful thing. If I, like, I grew up not reading poetry. And honestly, as a, as a young man and even like into like college, I was like, poetry's for girls. Like all Mm -hmm. I, I feel like what I had heard in school growing up was, was basically like Emily Dickinson, which I actually really like Emily Dickinson Mm -hmm. now, but she's not my go-to. Like nowadays, like, for example, um, almost the entire ninth grade year, ancient literature is all poetry. Mm-hmm. It's Homer's Odyssey, it's Virgil's Aeneid, it's uh, it's the Oresteia, it, it's Beowulf. It, I mean, it's just epic poem after epic poem, or at least play after play kind of thing. So that's changed for me, and I would say that, but like it, maybe tease that out. Like what? Okay. H- how does poetry actually make your life better? Right. Um, if again, I'm skeptical and I'm like, who cares about? catching some reference on Sports Center or whatever. Right. I think what it's done is given me an imagination for living the kind of life that I want to live. It's helped me to I mean, if I gave you examples of the poems that I've chosen to learn, there's usually like one line in each one that's that's my line. That's the line that I memorized this poem for. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in a poem called How Did You Die by Edmund Vance Cook. 
he says, a trouble is a ton, or a trouble is an ounce, or a trouble is what you make it. That's just one line that I pulled out. A trouble is a ton, or a trouble is an ounce, or a trouble is what you make it. And when I say these poems over and over, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I lay in bed. If I, if I can't sleep, that is where my mind goes, either to scripture or poems that I've memorized. It's such a comfort to me to have something to let my mind land on. To, It's hard to explain until you've done it and experienced it. Well, I, it is hard to explain, but if you were in the class or if you missed it, I can tell you, you said a, you said a couple of things over and over, and one th- one thing you said was it's in my bones. You yeah. kept saying yeah, that. Yeah. You kept saying it's just like in me. Yeah, and you could <laughs> see that when you recited it. And I think some people might listen and be like, "Oh, sounds like this girl likes to like show off all these poems." Right. She knows she's so fancy. Or no, yeah. no, it's like when Ginger's reciting a poem, and she did do like six or seven, and it was impressive, but I was more moved than impressed. Yeah. Like because she really feels it and it has become a part of her and the other thing you said over and over was that you have the power to call up words from your soul yeah and I wrote that down because I was like man there is something there of like what if I don't have books anymore or what if these things go away but it's in me I know one can take it it's very hard to explain like the comfort that it gives me inside myself but even just in the morning like right now I'm memorizing a new Mary Oliver poem that I chose and I stand at the bathroom counter just, you know, blow-drying my hair, getting ready for the day, and that's laying right there. And I just, I, I love that I can enrich my, it's hard to explain, I just feel it. I want mm-hmm. a way to, like, own the words. That's what it is. I want to own the words. I can't, right. how do I make them mine? How do I make them part of me? Mm-hmm. The other day, Sailor, I was frustrated and spoke a little harshly to her and I went to apologize later and I said she's my eight-year-old um I said to her sailor you know how in the poem North Country by Mary Oliver it says um it talks about you listen and you know you could live a better life than you do be softer kinder and maybe this year you will be able to do it and it's referring to hearing a thrush that's how the poem starts it talks about hearing a bird and it just says when you listen and you hear this bird and you experience this beautiful thing in nature, you think, maybe this year I'll be able to be softer and kinder. And I said to her, I realized I wasn't softer and kinder mm. in that moment, and that's who I want to be. And just that, it, it gave me something to pull from, and I feel like right. that is what Scripture does for us too. When it's in us, it can't yeah. come out of us if it's not in us. And this is just a way that I've found to experience and become the person that I want to be. Yeah, and we talked about that with Matt in the Psalms, about how you read a Psalm and it gives you words to help you express something that may have been there, but you didn't have words to express it. And I think that's what poetry can do for people. So I read this the other day and I thought immediately of Ginger, but it it goes along with what John was saying, because I think there's probably people listening who are like, yeah, I'm just not, I was never into it. I've never been into it. But this is um, this is from a book. He's quoting someone else. It's from Eugene Peterson's Run with the Horses. William Stafford was once asked in an interview, when did you decide to be a poet? He responded that the question was put wrongly. Everyone is born a poet. A person discovering the way words sound and work, caring and delighting in words. I just kept on doing, he said, what everyone starts out doing. The real question is, why did the other people stop? 
and I immediately thought of you because I was like yeah and I don't know if you've always been this way with you know your love of words and poetry and you can kind of tell us if there was like something that happened but I do think that that is true I mean I think of my children and the way they learn words and the way they express and not all of them are as talkative as others but we all come to language Mm -hmm. we all come to language in the same way like we're not mute we speak and we hold things in our head so when does that begin to change and why yeah I I did copy quotes from the time I was a teenager I found my first commonplace book I did not know it was called a commonplace book (laughs) I called it a blank book that was I got that idea from Gretchen Rubin, who's a writer that I like, and she just talked about as a child. She had what she called her blank book, and it was just like a big scrapbook, notebook, and she would paste things from magazines and write down quotes, and I that's what I did, and I didn't know that I was doing a thing, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did bring my old um, journal from high school to my class and just shared it with the class, and it was really interesting for me to look back at that and see... You know, I would write down one little short line that I loved. Now what I do when I, when I do my commonplace books is copy down literally tens to hundreds of passages from a book. I spent six hours copying quotes from Jaber Crow by Wendell <laughs> Berry. I probably didn't spend six hours reading the book. But I loved so much of his language that I just mm-hmm. would sit down for 20 minutes at the time. Literally set my watch for 20 minutes every evening and copy quotes and when the 20 minutes was up I would mark it on my little sticky note I did another 20 minutes stop my watch and wait till the next day and you do eventually eventually get done with a project if you do it 20 minutes at a time um, I think it really wasn't though until we came to Veritas that I became a lover of poetry because mm. the kids had to learn poems for their class the different classes right. you know they have a class poet especially when they get to fourth fifth maybe even third grade um, and they memorize. Actually, that's not true. L- last year, Sailor in first mm-hmm. grade. They, I guess it yeah, starts. School wide now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She was memorizing poetry by who was it last year? I'm, I'm blanking on who it was. But this year, it's Robert Louis Stevenson for second grade. Um, so I realized, oh wow, there's there's beautiful kid poetry. Mm-hmm. My mom is a big lover of A.A. A. Milne, mm-hmm. and she has recited to my kids from the time they were little. Anytime she visits, she just, when she'd tuck them in, I want Gigi to tuck me in. Will she say the poem for me? And so my mom always says Vespers, which is the one that says mm-hmm. little boy kneels at the foot of the bed, droops on the little hands, little gold head. Hush, hush, whisper who dares. Christopher Robin is saying his prayers. But my mom has said that one poem to the kids for years. And so they all knew it right. without trying. But I found quite a few more AML poems that we learned together. And those have been great starter poems for the younger kids. They're fun. They're mm-hmm. fun. And they know the characters. Um, so, But Veritas has definitely been my inspiration for memorizing poetry. And then I discovered Mary Oliver on my own and... That was it. That was the end for me. I just, (laughs) (laughs) I have memorized so many of her poems and she has spoken. She's given me so much life. Right. So do you want to speak a little bit about your memorization technique? You gave one really helpful hint, I think, to me was just to keep it in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know why I've never thought of that. Keep it in your purse. Keep it in your pocket. Keep it on your counter. Keep it on your bathroom counter. Tape it to your mirror. 
Tape it to the wall beside the toilet paper holder where the kids sit if you're trying to get your kids to see it. <laughs> we do, as a family, well, well I should say m- me and the kids. I'll leave TJ out. He does not do this. But we go into our playroom um, for our morning time on our mm-hmm. home days, and I have the big, large sticky notes that you can just purchase on Amazon, like an easel size, and I write out the poems that we're learning, and the scripture, Proverbs 1, is up there right now, and put it on the wall, and then we go in there, and the kids see it, and we, we just work on it little by little. There's really, you really have to just find what works for you, but it is so cool to realize you can train your, you can train your muscle, your memory is a muscle, and you can train it, and it becomes easier. Right. And it doesn't matter how long it takes, you can let this process take as long as it takes. I was going to ask when you, so one thing I remember uh, years ago when we were starting to just play with this because like a lot of what we do is to be to be honest we're just trying to like kind of rediscover and like relearn how things were done for a really long time mm-hmm. right and right. now is is falling very much out of favor you know in whatever American education at, as a whole and when I first started memorizing poems in English I'll talk about Latin in just a second but in English I would go like line one line at a time but then I realized that, like, let's just say by the end of the year, call it, you know, May recitation night, the the last lines of the poems, or, you know, the last couple of lines of a poem, the students were just not as confident when you got to the end. Because if you were kind of building it line one, then when you added line two, you were going to say line one and two, and then line one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. But then let's say it was like mm-hmm. a ten-line poem. By the time you got to lines like nine and ten, they only had like two weeks on lines nine and ten, whereas they had like ten weeks on line one and nine weeks on line two. So that was one change of like, no, we're gonna we're gonna say actually the whole English poem at a time. That changes a little bit. So in eighth grade, I don't know if Cash has started learning his first Latin poem yet. Yeah. Okay. So like in eighth grade they start learning poetry in Latin and I, I teach the freshman and the, the sophomore Latin courses and it's hilarious. Some days they'll just start reciting these poems from last year and they still just have it, you know. And so Latin's a little trickier because you have to build it so that you can translate it as well. There's like a translation component so that we're not just saying gibberish. Like, <laughs> so you actually know what you're saying. Right. But but anyway, like it's, it's uh, I, I, do you do that? Do you build the poems at home or do you kind of just do them all together and you realize, you know, maybe they actually get line four before they get line one in their memory? Or- I have actually not found that to work very well for myself because, I, and the way that I realized that didn't work great for me is at our church, I go to Village and at an Anglican church, there's a lot of liturgy that we say each week that's the same. And there was one part of our service toward the end where we pray a prayer together before we're dismissed. And even though I had been saying that for years, I thought, why do I not, why do I not have this memorized? Why do I have to pick up my order of service every week and look at it? And that's more mm-hmm. to your point mm-hmm. of like, if you're saying in the whole thing, yeah. why, you know, kids, I think, and I do think it works I think kids do learn it that way just as easily as the line by line. But for me, what I realized I had to do, I actually took the order of service home, cut out the little the little paragraph that I wanted to learn, took it with me on my walks and runs for the next couple mm-hmm. weeks, and line by line, phrase by phrase, learned it. And now it's like completely in my memory forever. But for some reason, it's, it's like until I set my mind to like, I am going to try to memorize this. Yeah. Whereas I do think the way, because it has been different at Veritas for the last, I think, maybe three years mm-hmm. of 
recite the whole thing. The whole thing, yeah. And I think the kids can and do learn mm-hmm. it that way. But when we work on it at home, mm-hmm. I'm still having them take a line by line, verse by verse mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. But story knows all of Proverbs one already. Right. Wow. You know, right. like she. Right. Yeah. She doesn't have to say it yet, but, mm-hmm. and at home I say, let's just go through here because I don't, I, especially for Sailor, I want her to keep hearing the beginning part more, mm-hmm. but I think it can work both ways. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a kid adult or, cause I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I have to, I have to have it with me and say, like, I have to force myself to be present to it. And right. I don't know if that's cause I just have so many other things happening in my brain <laughs> Uh, and kids don't. <laughs> no offense to the kids who are listening, but you don't have to manage a household and do all the many things that you just have to memorize that poem. So maybe for them, it they're able to be more present in a sense, and we have to like really yeah. try. Because right. I, I used to be that way. I had a great memory, and now it seems more like, okay, I gotta I gotta just do this one one line at a time yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about commonplace books a lot. Ginger brought hers. Obviously, listeners can't see them, but you can kind of explain what they are. I know it sounds like a simple thing, but being someone who journaled my entire life and has all these journals that now I feel like are just garbage because they're not organized. Right. But uh, I even, I, I benefited so much from just hearing what a commonplace book was. Well, if you think of um, uh, art book, like a... Like uh, an art teacher would have their students buy with the thick paper that you can use a Sharpie or a, a permanent pen and it won't go through. So thick pages, because I like to write on the front and the back, and it's spiral bound with the hard cover on the front and the back. And we'll put a link like in the show notes if somebody wants, you know, oh, well, what book is she yeah, talking about? Yes. Um, I have ordered these on Amazon, and I have a few different ones. Sometimes it's hard to find the exact same one that I bought last time. But basically, a commonplace book is a written form of scrapbooking. So think about, you know what a scrapbook is, or that you would put photos in. This is just words. And like I said earlier, I will read an entire book, underline, and then go back and spend 20 minutes at the time writing down all the things I underlined that I loved. It's not so, for me, it's not so much um, books that are, kind of it's not teaching books necessarily it's not I don't put things from sermons in here because that's a question that I got what do you do in your sermon notes or do you use this as your journal I don't I have a journal where Mm -hmm. I keep my journaling and my sermon notes in this is really just words that I love from books that I've read that speak to me and I feel like if I were to die today and somebody wanted and I and somebody asked tell me who who was ginger they could read my commonplace books and say, oh, she was someone who wanted to le- who wanted to let go of control. She was trying. <laughs> <laughs> she was someone who was so aware of her mortality. Mm-hmm. She knew that every day is a gift. There's these themes that run through the kinds of things that I underline in books. Did you know down. that before you started? Them? No, I didn't. Uh, okay, no, cool. I didn't yeah. know that. And I don't necessarily have an organization system that makes sense to the outsider it makes sense to me because I'm the one who wrote them down but you know sometimes people will ask or TJ will even say Ginger why don't you just type type all those quotes into a document and then you could search for a word if you're looking for a quote and I said no what what are you talking about no (laughs) the whole point is that I'm writing them down by hand and that when I need to look for a quote that I'm thinking of 
I love the process of the search mm-hmm. because then I'm reading a bunch of other quotes that I wrote down as I look for the mm-hmm. one that I want to find. And a lot of times I can remember, oh, I know it was on the top of the page on the right. And I got to just remember what which book was it in. I did recently, within the last year, decide to use some of those little colored tabs um, to mark the titles of the books in my commonplace book because it is easy to think, okay, I've Anne Lamott is one of my favorite writers, and I've read every single nonfiction book she's written and copied quotes from everyone, and they're spread out within four commonplace books. So to just know at least which book, which commonplace book to pull off the shelf, oh, yeah. that's helpful instead of having to take all four out, flip through every single one. So I do have little tabs the now. The tabs are genius. Um, I think they're it just is helpful. so wise. It yes. is. Yeah. And then I do have some pages, sometimes if I'm copying quotes and I have about a half of a page left, I think, okay, well, I finished the book that I was copying. What am I doing with this half page? And so that's where I'll just stick random quotes. If I hear one little quote some, you know, on that I saw on someone's Instagram, and I think it's just random. I just want to remember it. Right. So it's kind of scattered throughout. There are just these random one lines that I've copied down. I do you find can, that the copying helps you as far as memory goes ever? Like, do you ever do that with your memory work? I or do. you have do your kids not. do that? Okay. I don't. They, I think they do. Well, Sailor comes home and has verses from Proverbs copied into her journal that she brings home. So I know that they're doing that in their class. Mm-hmm. But I don't copy for the point of memorizing. Okay. But I do feel like it. the words are mine and I can own them. It's... It they become part of me when I have taken the time to write them down. Yes. If I read a book as good as Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry, I would literally be like, "What am I going to do to like feel? I can't just turn it. Yeah, I can't just close the book and put it on the shelf or turn it back into the library. It's like, no, I have to have a way to mark. This has this has changed me. This has moved me. This is this is who I am. This is what I want to become. Right. And. The combination of memorizing poems that do that for me and getting to write down words from books that have done that for me is how I have figured out that works. And it's so restorative. It's so restorative to me, especially if I'm having a bad day. Yesterday was kind of a bad day. I just was kind of in a bad mood the whole day, and I could just in a funk. You know, you Mm -hmm. have days Mm -hmm. like that. And I just, I, I know that if I'll go sit and write a letter... Or if I'll go sit and copy quotes, or if I'll go for a walk and take a poem with me that I want to work on, it calms me. Yeah. It restores my soul. And you encouraged us to do that, and I did start a commonplace book, and that's been really good in my life. Very, yeah, calming, therapeutic, those are all good words. Yeah. And it helps me process things I've read. And it's been, since I've never done a commonplace before, but I've certainly, I'm a, I write in books, that's it's hard for me to get books from the library because I'm like, I can't write in this. <laughs> and, and also, I want to keep it a long time. Um, so I do buy probably too many books, but I try to find them used. But I, it has been nice now that I have a commonplace book, I'm going back through things that I know I've loved. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting to reread them, not slowly reread, but just going back to my underlines and yeah. rereading them. Right. And that's been really special. And I, I otherwise probably wouldn't take the time to have reread all these books but it's been good for my soul so thank you for your breakout session it was so good I know everybody benefited who was there not just like benefited from you but we you actually tangibly gave us things (laughs) which really upped the game I feel like on breakout sessions plus 78 cents I'm just kidding how much (laughs) a little moleskins worth right 
Um, okay, the last question we have for you today is the same one we ask everyone, and that is what are you reading or watching or listening to lately that's been impactful for you? I read a book recently. If you are my friend, you've probably heard me talk about it already, Nori. I okay, know I, I think you I about think I know. it. Yeah. It's called 4,000 Weeks. It's by Oliver Berkman. The subtitle is Time Management for Mortals. And a friend of mine recommended the book, and I thought, eh, I'm good at that already. I'm good at me. I'm good at boundaries. I'm good at knowing how to say no to things. I, I really almost just disregarded it without giving it a chance. But then I thought, you know, I'll get it from the library. I'll just check it out because the reviews that she wrote about it were outstanding. So I got it from the library. Within about 20 pages, I said, I can't read a library copy of this because I had taken a sticky note and was trying to write in all the page numbers and all the quotes that I liked. <laughs> you had to write was... in it, yeah. So then I thought, okay, I have to order it. And so I got it and went back and marked all the things in the book that I had written on my sticky note and kept going. But he talks, my very favorite idea from the book is this German word called Eigenzeit, which means letting things take the time they take. That has been revolutionary for me because even though I know the truth of that in certain areas, for example, when I sit down to write a letter, I don't look to see how long it's going to take. I don't care. I'm going to write the letter until I'm done saying what I want to say. And it's, it's great. But if I am sitting in the doctor's office, I get so antsy. Like, why is this taking so long? And just knowing a word for an idea... Right. We don't have a word for this. Has, has really changed me, letting things take the time they take. Okay. But the book is phenomenal. It had so many insights of things I had never heard. He, he's not just saying what a lot of other books on being productive say. Mm-hmm. He is saying something different. And it's, it is definitely the best book I've read this whole year. It's definitely on my list so because please, of your recommendation. Please, 4,000 Weeks, though, is it? it's a reference to the fact that if you live to be 80, you have 4,000 weeks. Okay. I keep telling people 8,000 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> if you live to 120, you're good. Oh, okay, I must be in, so, like, Abraham's line. Yes. I'm going to live a really long time. Um, the other you, thing I'm reading is a cookbook, and it's very funny. Jen Hatmaker's cookbook came out this last week. It's called Feed These People, and I'm actually not reading it for the recipes as much as just for her comedy. She's just a very, very funny fun writer, person. the way that she introduces every recipe. So that's been really light, fun reading. Okay, wonderful. I'm going to check out the 4,000 weeks. 4,000 weeks. Got it. <laughs> John, and about you? I am a, I'm reading a book I... I don't. I can't recommend it yet. Okay. Although I'm fascinated by the idea, it's called The Extended Mind, um, and b- basically, this may not be the fairest summary, but basically, it's kind of looking at the way we think about um, ourselves and our intelligence, and kind of the metaphor of like your brain or your mind or your head or something mm-hmm. like this. And um, it's a female author. I think her name's. Annie Murphy, Annie Murphy Paul. I think it's a three name. Um, Annie Murphy Paul. I think that's right. <laughs> three like first name names. Anyway, sorry. So she she's kind of making the argument, which I'm very sympathetic to, which is like if when we think of ourselves as heads or again as brains or something, we're actually uh, misunderstanding at a fu- fundamental foundational level um, how we actually learn. And so there's a there's a line, and kind of what turned me on to this book was my my neighbor 
But then there's a line in um, one scholar of St. Thomas Aquinas um, named Sertelange, and his summary of St. Thomas on learning is something like, we, um, we never learn with our head. Um, it's like a very bold kind of a statement, like you would never expect to hear from like a scholastic, which is like, we always learn through our body. Like, he don't, I, th- I think Thomas even says something like, we learn in spite of our head. It's like we, we learn despite the fact that we have a brain, so to speak. So anyway, it's a, it's a modern, um, very like heavily right now researched, you know, data driven um, look at um, how human beings learn. And again, the, the argument is, we are um, embodied, we're fully embodied. And so to use like an example from like a, like a kindergarten math lesson, right? Like if we can have the kids put their hands on manipulatives, mm-hmm. that's gonna, that's actually what's teaching them what something is. And um, I've just been thinking about that a lot. I was on a run yesterday with a guy and we were just talking about how our parents um, raised us and how did we learn certain lessons about how to prioritize what matters and different things. And I just more and more have been, been convinced. And so this book's kind of adding more weight. So I have to be careful. I'll mm-hmm. have to read it at least twice to like really hear the argument, I think, well. But just how do you actually train your kids yourself to, right? Like um, what matters the most? And more and more what I'm believing is true is that you have to go through, um, you have to experience things. Um, failure, success, so to speak, good days, bad days. Even our definition of what makes a day a good day versus a bad day, so to speak, mm-hmm. has to be fundamentally challenged. So anyway, that's called um, the extended mind. And I don't know what to do with that yet, but um, maybe in a couple of rereads, I'll, I'll know what to do with it. And you so. got a copy quotes. And I got a copy <laughs> quotes, yeah. So can I say one thing? So this is sure. one thing I advocate for the students, too, is, um, is to highlight. There are different highlighter systems, So, um, but the, the one that I use... Um, copyable quotes or like you know potable quotables or whatever you want to call them um are blues so like i whenever i i don't have them here in this room but uh anytime it's something that's beautiful it's a blue for me versus say something that's um a thematic idea so like in the odyssey you have like home um, recklessness uh, piety hospitality those things are like thematic ideas Mm -hmm. that homer develops versus like those really powerful lines of poetry that you're like i gotta copy that down um, so anyway, that that's maybe one little trick you could think about is like how how do I know, or how am I going to go back to the things that I want to copy versus just lines or ideas that are like, huh, that was that was interesting to me. I want to yeah. track again. Uh, I'm kind of flabbergasted that you have like a system of highlighting. <laughs> like you are that organized when you're reading. That's. It's, just, it's worth it. But you it. can't do that kind of thing in bed at night before you're, before, while you're trying to read. No, I just mean like sleep. from knowing John, no offense, in <laughs> other areas. It's like, wait a second. You have a highlighter system? You. This is crazy. Uh, also, I'm not a highlighter person. Like, I don't care right. about that. I like to, I like a black line. Okay. And I also like to write, quite, like I write, I'll write a whole paragraph next to their paragraph in my own words to try to explain what I just read if that makes sense yeah I don't know I don't know why I do that um yeah like there so I don't so much I don't know highlighters are not my deal but I'm glad for you but I think one of the reasons was I I kind of I think one of the reasons why highlighters fall short for a lot of people is because they weren't trained how to use them right right? so it's like again if if all you've got is that like yellow highlighter you end up and I'm just saying this is a guy who teaches (laughs) kids right and like 
you flip open a page of the book and like 90% of the page is highlighted <laughs> yellow, right? And you're like, what do I do with that? So that's right. that's the bigger so what of the system is okay. it's, again, it's, it's, it's the most practical thing. And again, for, especially for some of the books that I read, it's like I'll read, I'll read them multiple times a year. Hmm. And so when you read, again, you really immerse yourself in an, an author or an idea or something, you just, you need something besides like just writing things because the amount of ideas that a great book will like launch you off into, it's too many, right? Sure. It's too many. So like, oh, anyway, there's just too many. Like the, the, it, there's it. just too much stuff in there, right? Yeah. And so kind of figuring out, okay, what, um, again, this, oh, this is ideas or this is about the movement of the story or this is about characterization or this is about, again, whatever. so figuring out that system. And that's where it's like, it's something, it is nice Maybe this is a whole other podcast episode where we talk about like reading systems mm. um, because it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be like copyable and pasteable. It's, I do think there's that piece where you have to kind of figure out what works for you. Like even just you're like, hey, copied, I copy down for 20 minutes a night. For me, it's usually Sunday afternoons. Yeah. That would be my like sit down and, mm-hmm. and like any books that I've finished, that's a, that's, I've got time to copy. Right. Right. So it's like, it's not so much about like, well, you have to do 20 minutes a day as much as, again, like, let's not miss the, the forest for the trees of, you know, 20 hmm. minutes or whatever. Anyway. Well, thank How you, you for, about, <laughs> for about that book. Because, Thanks for that compliment about you being shocked that I have a system for it. <laughs> it's just like, what? John? <laughs> McCord, this is you. I wish I had my bundles of highlighter. I have several bundles. I actually have three bundles. So that if I leave one at one, I'm serious. Uh, if I leave one at one of my desks, I've still got the others in my bag. So interesting. Yeah, it's okay. true, true I'm story. I'll be thinking on that for a while. Yeah. Uh, no, but do read that book twice and then just write a blog post about it and okay. I'll read that. Because it okay. sounds like yes. beyond. It's a little, it's a little much. The, yeah, well, it's, it's, and it's trying to deal with kind of the issue of like mindset and grit. It's trying to take it, again, because a lot of that language that uh, Dweck has in that book um, is again, it's very like brain heavy. Like if you have the right mindset. And so she's kind of saying like, you're, we're missing it if we're just thinking again in terms of the mind. Mm-hmm. If we're not thinking about the the person, the whole person. So anyway. Just let me be lazy and read your blog Good, post. okay, I'll, I'll blog post it. It'll, it'll probably be like a breakout session at next <laughs> Great. community training. Yeah, you and Ginger. It seems like that kind of a book. Okay. <laughs> Ginger will quote a poem and, and yeah. then I'll talk about right. brain psychology or whatever. All right, and my book is God's Light on Dark Cloud. It's an um, old book, 1883 is when he wrote it, uh, Theodore Coyer. And I think he had lost a, a child, uh, you know, 1800s, not, not a great rate for kids back then during that time. And um, he's writing some letters to bereaved people and encouragements and stuff like that. But it's a, um, a dear one. I'm glad I've, I've gone back to it because of the commonplace book mm-hmm. to write down things. And it's been a good reread. So, yeah, that's it. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you, You're Ginger, welcome. for being Thank here. You. This was wonderful. It. And until next time, Peregrines, live well.